Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer. Tonight, we're going to get real, real, real. And um, yeah, one of my favorite topics, redistricting Oregon. When I ran for Secretary of State, this was like a huge, huge deal. And I learned really quickly um, as I was running that the state had been gerrymandered for decades. And the worst part was the public had no idea. They know what gerrymandering means, but they had no idea that this was happening to them. And, um, and then they wonder why only one party is represented throughout the state. And so um, this is part of the problem. And it was supposed to be taken care of this time, but oh, 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 something bad happened the other day. So we're going to talk about that in a second. But first, I'm going to bring on our sponsor, Derek Roser with Derek Roser Realty. And it's good to have you here, buddy. Hey, thanks, Rick. It's good to be here again. So you live up the McKinsey. Um, you're one of our sponsors. And the dude is also my realtor right now and yeah. trying to sell my house. Yeah, let's get it sold, Rick. Let's get that thing sold. I'm seeing all these houses you got on there. It's like, and you know, and then I'm going, wait, look at that one. Oh my God, that's up the street. That's a nice house. So yeah. you've been doing this for a long time, haven't you? Uh, you know, I've been doing this for a whopping four years. So yeah, I mean, not, not as not as long as people might think, but I've, but I've been at contracting for about 25. So but see, that's, that's, what, that's what I appreciated about and why we, well, ultimately, because you're my friend too, but that's why we hired you, hire people you trust, but also because when you were looking at my house, you knew to put straps on, you saved me a lot of time. Put straps on your water heaters. Here's some things you want to fix up. You want to do this. Maybe put a little bark dust out here. And it was really helpful. And from a contractor standpoint, you knew exactly what I needed to do to make sure when people walk in there, it looks really great. Yeah, just just try and help out as best I can with all that knowledge that I've got stuck in the back of my head, Rick. So yeah, absolutely. So you look a lot more relaxed as a sponsor than I am. You're sitting there having a drink on your front porch with your friend from Idaho, and you're just kind of hanging out. I am. And, uh, and I'm in here working, slaving over a hot computer. <laughs> slaving away, bringing, bringing all this important stuff to our attention. So. Oh, I'm well, we couldn't do it without people like you. So I really thank you for your sponsorship. And you guys, if you are looking for a realtor or if you have property, you're ready to sell. The inventory is not super high anywhere in Oregon. And that's a whole other story about how um, Oregon has done some really dumb things. But anyway, that's a different day, a different story. But if you have a house and you do want to sell it, um, I highly recommend Derek to do that. Don't go away. I'm going to bring you back before our part two conversation. Okay. Love it, Rick. Thanks. Okay. So you guys, here's what we're going to do. Oh, I got to remember how to do this here. Get There's Derek. Okay. So here's what we're going to do. Got two topics tonight. The uh, redistricting debacle, as I like to call it, it's my show. I can call it kind of what I want. And then we have this little public meetings thing in Lane County that's causing a little bit of problem it has to do with the vaccine mandate. And Jay Bosevich is going to be here to talk about that. I heard him on the radio this morning, instantly got on the phone. He was on KPNW always, of course. And I ripped, tossed a note. I'm in the gym between sweating and doing something else. And I do this and, and Jay wrote me back and said, yeah, I can come on. So we're going to have him on second, but I'm going to first bring representative Daniel Bonner on or Bonham, excuse me. And um, Daniel, thanks for being here. So how, how are you involved with this redistrict? Are you on this committee? So I've been on the committee, yeah, since uh, January, and then uh, continued on during the interim, and, and have been involved in the conversation slash negotiations behind the scenes. So, what was supposed? What was promised by the House Speaker? I think ultimately, you know, we had really frustrated the Speaker during session by by slowing down the process. Reading of bills uh, had had really pushed us up against some timelines, and so in exchange for waiving our constitutional right to have bills read on their third and final reading, which really does slow things down and to expedite the process during our regular session, 
we were granted a third equal seat on the redistricting committee. So it was a 3-3 committee, which meant Republicans in the House had an equal say in this process, in theory. So you so, gave, so you so gave you something, and they were supposed to give something. Then you guys came up with lines, and I, I already talked to some, some folks about this a few weeks ago. They were There was two different plans, but the one that the Democrats are supporting was I mean, even even media sources that are very liberal were saying this is gerrymandering. I mean, yeah. this is, you know, and I could even I could even show people. Hold on. Let's do this. Here's a little map. Oh, I got to put it down lower to get it. So I still have it down there. Yeah. Oh, I do. Hold on. OK, I can get rid of that. And then watch this. It's going to cover us up a little bit, but here, this is a map of Lane County. So if you guys look in the middle, that's Eugene, that little circle in the center, that's the middle of the wagon wheel right there. So that's Eugene and Springfield here. And then these are the different districts, one of the plans that the Democrats had come up with. Now, do you notice it's really interesting when you look because all these little places like Lowell and Camp Creek where I live and Cottage Grove and Cresswell, they're all connected to big more uh, liberal politics in the Eugene area. So what that does is it makes it so a lot of these people out in the outlying areas, they're supposed to be like, what is it? How did that word, how's that word, Dan, Daniel? That a community of common interest is what they're supposed to be. And so the, like my district, I'm in the district that is Cresswell, Cottage Grove, uh, Camp Creek, Lowell. And then we are also in, in, in with South Eugene, and uh, University of Oregon. So that's not a community of interest. That doesn't mean we're not friends and we're not neighbors and we don't all get along and anything like that. It means that it's not really a community of interest. So that's done, and I can say this finally because I'm a, not a reporter anymore, that's done to water it down so that only one party is represented. And that's why we have a super majority in Oregon right now. And that's one of the things, I think this is one of the single biggest issues to straighten out politics in Oregon, don't you, Daniel? Well, I, I don't want to go away from your map though. I mean, that, that story gets worse, like the story as it evolves. So we went in and we made the argument that you just made that to reach out and grab those rural populations, to grab Oak Ridge and throw it in with, you know, the U of O population didn't really make sense. And so we asked to connect that South Eugene uh, University of Oregon campus. We heard from hundreds of people testifying, both written and uh, before the committee that said that's one community down that you can't. Uh, Amazon Park, I didn't even know Amazon Park. I'm not from Eugene, but we heard it over and over and over that that, that whole area around there is one community. And so adjustments were made, but it was pointed out to me yesterday, an email from a uh, sitting state representative, and it showed on a map where three people live, uh, this representative, another representative, and a state senator, and they all live within three blocks of each other. Two of those people were drawn into the area that is now uh, proposed House District 8 and reaching up into one precinct and grabbing this other gentleman and forcing him into House District 7, which is that Cresswell, Lowell, Cottage Grove, out to Oak Ridge area, uh, pushing this Democrat, sitting Democrat legislator into a highly conservative rural district uh, for no other reason than to personally attack this, this gentleman. And so that story of gerrymandering and a partisan politics uh, does reach across both aisles. Uh, when they have a sitting member of their own caucus that they don't like, they do things like that to draw them out of a district that they're competitive in. It, it was absolutely atrocious. Like the, 
the blatant disregard for the rules and the, the procedure and the law and drawing that gentleman out of his community of common interest and forcing him into a district where he literally, he can't win, uh, to be blunt, is, is just appalling, beyond appalling. And so then when you get up into Portland, it's the same kind of thing. You have Multnomah County, Clackamas County, and then those there's like 18 or something wheels that go out into the rural areas, watering them down into that, that, that very highly Democratic area like that. And even a district like in Hood River, where you had a sitting Democrat that only won by 84 votes. And so they took that map and they said, what can we do to strengthen our position here in Hood River? And so they said, well, Sandy, Oregon, is a conservative block of voters. Let's get rid of that and let's reach east into Mosier and the Dalles, where there are more um, liberal and, and, and somewhat split voters. And we can secure that seat and make it a more Democrat stronghold. And, and unfortunately, there's a victim there, too. Uh, I live in the Dalles. And so I have gone from what is a more conservative, I would guess, around a plus eight Republican registered district to now a probably minus eight, minus 10 uh, district where Democrats have a significant advantage. So so they change districts like that as well. And, and again, I got to be honest with you, Rick, it's hard not to take that personal right. uh, when you're on the end of, of their schemes. And so you look at what the speaker did, made this deal with us, said, we're going to make it three, three, you'll have an equal say. And as soon as we went to behind the scenes negotiations, I walked into that room and uh, I said, here are our ideas. And they, they just outright disregarded them and said, you know what, you know, Bonham, you need to lower your expectations. And I said, well, how do you expect this to get through the House with a 3-3 committee if you're going to completely disregard the majority of our ideas? And it became abundantly clear to me early that they were either going to swap one of us out and switch to a person who could commit a yes vote, or they were going to change the makeup of the committee. And so they did that with the legislative maps. They made it 4-4 with a member that, that wanted to support getting that map to the floor. And then on the congressional side, they literally changed it to a 2-1 committee. Uh, a guest of yours that's been on quite often, a friend of mine, uh, Representative Shelley Bossard Davis, was co-chair of the committee. Uh, she lost her chairmanship of the committee. They stripped her of that title. Uh, Representative Andrea Salinas became the only chair of the committee. And I mean, beyond just the like, well, it's cheating. My nature of it. I mean, that that is just rude. Like well, it's, it's just rude. It's, like it, it's cheating. I mean, this is Andrew just wrote on here that it was it's um, the representative had fought the Democrat plan. Yeah. So because he fought the plan, I'm guessing because he probably thought it was unfair, um, they drew his home into So that's how that that's how they treat each other. So that's, how can this get how do they get away with this? Because it's it's so unfair. You know, I, I don't care if if what I think Oregonians should need to understand is that what this is cheating. This is just. Blatant, cheating and they don't care and it's not in the deck all yeah. Yeah. and somebody came on my page the other day when i did this and they said oh but rick both parties do it well if, just look, do a little history lesson this has been the, the, what's been going on for more than 30 years that's for damn sure this yeah, is both parties certainly don't do it here in oregon only one party here in oregon does it so what do you do now so is because I, I understand you guys are kind of fighting it or putting up a stink or and tell me what's going on with that so we're at a little bit of a pause right now. Uh, we don't have session again planned until Saturday. 
And right now there are discussions happening, trying to figure out if there could be a path forward. The one that we haven't talked about yet, because we got focused on that Eugene area and you got me going on the legislative map, but the congressional maps are ridiculous. They're five one. Everybody, even before maps came out, anybody that's been paying attention to redistricting came out before maps came out and in the media said, the only way you get to five one is with absolute Democrat gerrymandering. Uh, like that's the only way you get there. And so, I, I see what Andrew's writing right there. And that, that is something that's come up with my folks is they've said, you know, we, we've been questioning the election integrity. And now we're watching this process unfold. And literally, Democrats just game the system. Like, where can I go to actually have a voice? Where can I go in the United States where my voice matters, where my vote counts? I thought it was interesting that your sponsor had a friend from Idaho that came here. That was wonderful. Uh, nice to have some uh, friends come this way and not just Oregonians fleeing to Idaho. Well, he was, ju he's just visiting. He's not going to, I understand. Him. I understand. <laughs> but hopefully Rick, we can entice him to stay. We need some, some more uh, reasonable minds here in Oregon to, to help restore some balance. You know, I, I, I heard someone was asking, um, was somebody that I know was moving to Montana and they said something to the people and they said, um, well, don't come here if you're going to organize us because we don't want you. So we're now the Californication people that we're, we don't Californicate Oregon. Now it's Oregonians who are, have a bad reputation for organizing other states. And, uh, and that's terrible because that's not what Oregon is about. So, so what, can we, what can people do to fight this? Honestly, we need, first and foremost, everybody to raise a voice. People need to be reaching out to the governor's office. People need to be reaching out to the speaker's office, to the Senate president's office, saying, stop this nonsense and do what's right. And then secondly, we need to re-energize the conversation on an independent commission. It, this has to be taken out of partisan politicians' hands. Uh, let the people draw the maps. Don't allow sitting legislators to pick their voters. Let the people decide how they're going to organize themselves to, to elect proper representation. So if this process gets all boggled down and nothing happens. It goes, then here's a scary thought. Then it goes to our current secretary of state, which is just going to, it's going to, it's going to be, then we, then we have no control at all. I will say I have a little bit of hope because she really? was put on record by, by Senator Hass when he ran uh, his campaign against uh, secretary Fagan in, in that preliminary uh, primary, he, he put her on record as committing to a people's commission and supporting an independent commission. She has put the the word out and she's had 760 entries of people from the five current congressional districts have reached out and signed up. Now the question will be how much power and authority those people have in the process or whether or not she and, and her labor union friends will just completely override them. But she's committed to that process and I believe we can help hold her to an account that uh, she should allow for those individual voices from throughout the state to help draw a nonpartisan map. I, I think it could be a process that could work if she has uh, more integrity than the Speaker of the House. Right, because the Speaker of the House promised something and uh, took it back. So right. maybe that's where people in Oregon can get involved is you start writing the Secretary of State and saying, if you end up with this, here's what we want. Do you live up to your promise and what you said you were going to do? Yeah, we need the people to do that. We need the people to write their sentiments, not take talking points from their labor union friends or from their partisan friends, period, but to say what is truly on their hearts for what they want their representation to be. We, we need them to see uh, what their community is and then convey that back to those who are engaged.
what's sad is what Josh was writing right here is how do you fight against the growing apathy and disengagement uh, from the political system? And I think that's the, that's, that's the thing that um, speaker, she's not looking at, or maybe they don't care. But you are you're, you're totally frustrated. People are just throwing up their hands and going. Nobody ever listens. They don't do what they're saying. And and the sad part is, I don't think they care because then they can do whatever they want to do anyway. Because honestly, voters are what get in the way of 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 this party bullshit. <laughs> you know, right? But but you, know? you do. You've got currently. I think you've got twenty five percent of the state registered Republican, thirty four percent registered Democrat, and then forty percent of people don't want to be affiliated with either party. So either they were signed up through Motor Voter and they were forced into a system that they didn't want to be a part of, or they've been a part of a party and said, I no longer want to associate with either partisan politics or your specific party's agenda. And I just want to be on my own. How do we capture those hearts and minds? I mean, that, that's honestly what I've been thinking when they drew me into a, a district that I most likely can't win. I've been thinking, what do I do with my life for the next few years while I still am young and have energy? Uh, I, I remember uh, in Back to the Future, remember elect Mayor Goldie Wilson he drove around with a van with a big loudspeaker. And I thought, that's what I need to do. I need to drive around the state and let people know what the current parties stand for. And I think a lot of people who are Democrats, who are Democrats because their parents were and they grew up with an ideal of what that meant to be, caring for other people. There, there are some wonderful values that historically the Democrat Party has stood for that they no longer stand for. And they are the party of big government. I remember Bill Clinton saying the time for big government is over, right? Like that time has ended and all the government has done since then has grown. And, and there are people that just want to continue to see government take over aspects of our lives, uh, restrict freedom, restrict liberty. And I think most Oregonians like their individual freedom and their individual liberty and want to be able to pursue happiness the way that they believe that they should. And, and I think there's a sentiment there. And those people really should be identifying with the Republican Party here in Oregon, regardless of how they feel about the National Republican Party. Uh, the Republican Party here in Oregon really is standing up for the individual. And uh, we need to make that clear to folks. So last question is, Dan, uh, Josh says, which organizations are key stakeholders for this effort and how can we support them and to support you? That's a that's a tough question. I mean, I, I can tell you that we as House Republicans have felt very much on an island in this process. And uh, I wish I had an organization that I could point directly to. But I go to the grassroots people. I go to you know, the National Federation of Independent Businesses, NFIB, kind of the local people that are truly out beating the streets, connecting with people, your local chamber. Uh, I even go so far as the nonprofits like, you know, Rotary and Kiwanis, like the people that are actually trying to have a positive impact in their community. Uh, I love those people and uh, I'm proud to be one of them. Uh, we're Rotarians and, and going out in the community and trying to affect positive change. And so that that would be my, my request and, and find a local congregation of your faith and, and join those folks and, and go out and touch people in your community. I, I think that's how you do it. You know, politically, uh, you know, we've got a, a PAC, Evergreen Oregon PAC, that we're trying to fundraise to, to push an agenda that is to try and lift all life rafts here in Oregon and, and restore some personal freedom for people. So, uh, you know, if that's a place that you want to invest, we'd, we'd love to have you. And quite frankly, connect with us on Facebook. We'd love to get to know you, period. All right. Daniel, thank you so much for joining us and being here and talking about this. Honestly, really, thank you for fighting this thing. Um, you know, it's I just hope people understand how important this is, because I do think people need to remember the power is in the people. 
And um, if we make, if there's 10,000 of us that go on there and start complaining, not complaining, but saying we want fairness and stick to the message. We just want fairness in Oregon, you know, and, and if it's fair and the Democrats or the Republicans own the process or, you know, are, are, are a little bit ahead, but there should never be a super majority in Oregon of any party, none. And we should expect our politicians when they give their word to honor their word. Yeah, you would hope. And when people have ambition and they want to run for other office and higher office, stuff like this should impact elections. You mean if somebody was going to run for governor? As an example. Wouldn't you want your next governor to be somebody who, well, I guess that would that would be keep their word? Yeah, I will. I'll, I'll, that's a rhetorical question. Don't answer it. You still have a, a, a job. <laughs> In case you don't know, folks, you have to catch up on stuff. Daniel, again, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you, Rick. Have a good night. Hi, man. You too, man. So what do you think of that, Derek Roser? You know, this is this is awesome conversation. I, you know, it's it's uh, I'm a native Oregonian. I mean, I was born in Eugene. I can't get much more native than born in Eugene, Oregon. So um, to just see the eyes getting opened, it's it's pretty awesome. Um, I, I, you know, I. I I, I'm, I'm not a political real person, but you know, I, I just see this, I see this, all my family, all my family that lives around here are all hardworking people. And, uh, just well, it's fairness. I mean, it's like, you know, and I, I, we thank you for sponsoring, but it's, you know, treating people. I love a good fight, but yeah. God, not when you tie one person's the other person's hand behind their back or both hands behind their back and say, Oh, well we're winning all the time. And that's what's going on in Oregon. And that is not Oregon. That's not how we, that's not us. It is not. It is not. I, I, I hate to see uh, the dictatorship that's happening and coming down on us um, as a native Oregonian, you know, yeah. our, well, freedom, our freedom matters here. So, well, thanks to you and your sponsorship here, we get to do this kind of stuff. And I do appreciate you uh, sticking with us. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. I am going to um, let you go have, have fun. And I, I like that your friend is not going to be moving to Oregon, I'm sure. <laughs> All right, Derek. Thank you, buddy. You're welcome, Rick. Thank you. So you guys, if you're looking for a realtor, he's my realtor right now. Um, uh, check him out. Find out more about him. Derek does a really good job and uh, he's got great people working for him. Okay, let's let's continue this. Jay. How you do? You heard all that. He's you've been here for so. Oh, I love your title, Human Homo Sapien. <laughs> Jay Bosevich is a county commissioner for Lane County, and heard him on the radio on KPNW this morning talk. And so, why don't you kind of just let us know what 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 happens? You're you're a storyteller. Tell us yeah. what happened here. Yeah. Well, first, I just have to say kudos to Representative Bonham. Um, he's doing great work, and uh, against you know, the evil empire. I don't know. It's just people that don't keep their word. Yeah. But, uh, you know, here in Lane County, you know, people are aware of, we've had kind of this history of um, violations of public meeting laws and something called the book club and, you know, secret meetings, lawsuits and, and everything. And when I, that's part of how I ended up getting elected to the board of commissioners was, uh, it kind of put a taint on the existing board of commissioners and there was a pretty big turnover in that 2010 election. And I ended up, you know, starting as commissioner in 2011, uh, on the tails of that scandal. And voters paid big million, over a million dollars in that to, to settle that whole thing. 
Yeah, yeah. And one of the first things I did in as a commissioner uh, after being sworn in was work in executive session to settle that lawsuit uh, that occurred. Uh, uh, former Commissioner Ellie Dumdi uh, against Rob Handy at all, um, and it cost the county a million and a half dollars. And this was because they did something in a, in secret. Yeah. And this, they, were and this, holding, they were holding meetings in a way that they thought got around the public meetings law, where they were rotating one shy of a quorum of the, of the budget committee in these meetings where they would rotate who attended so everybody knew what was going on. So quorum was involved. But they were planning how they were going to to change the budget to get these extra help, which were going to be actually the people that ran the campaigns for those commissioners as staff in the commissioner's office, while at the same time cutting 84 jail beds from the jail. So now let's bring it up to this last week. What happened? This something not not the similar that way, but it, but public meetings law was there was a stretch here. Talk yeah. about that. Yeah, and, and that's you know, I tell that story so you understand how hypersensitive I am about public meetings law. So fast forward to September first, and we go into a an executive session based on the exemption from public meetings. Uh, around labor negotiations. We're presented at the beginning of the executive session, five options for dealing with the issue of whether or not we wanted to institute a vaccine mandate for Lane County employees. And they range from an option that was do nothing to the most restrictive option, which was a, a mandate with no exceptions. And there are a couple of things in between. So this is being talked about in executive session based on the fact it's supposed to be labor negotiations. Well, that's really not a labor negotiation no. issue other than the only thing that's related to labor negotiations is it's a change in work conditions, which is something the unions can demand a bargain over. And that's something that's known well known by all the commissioners and as public information. So there was no reason to be in executive session for this. But even worse than that is we discussed those five options. We were presented information from staff about those five options. We heard from the division directors and the elected uh, division directors, the sheriff and the DA and the assessor, what they felt about the five different options. And then we um, basically as a board talked about those five options and then weighed in with what our preferences were. And the public knows nothing about this. Yeah. And lo and behold, one option rose to the top and had support of four out of the five board members and moved forward to the next executive session where we were presented draft policy to implement that option. So this is another meeting, a later yeah. meeting. A, a, a week a week and a day later, we held another executive session under the same exemption to discuss that particular one and walked out of that meeting, you know, with four board members agreeing that the policy looked good and we were going to move ahead with that option. That that was making a decision in my mind. You know, you can't start with five and end up with one in a draft policy. If, right. 
if there wasn't a decision and a quorum of the board was present, it's the very definition of what you're not supposed to do under Oregon public meetings law. So my first opportunity to remedy this, although I brought it up at the end of the exec session was kind of, uh, kind of, you know, oh no, we're okay. Uh, that I thought we were violating public meetings law and really needed to do this in public. Um, my next opportunity to, to remedy that was at yesterday's board meeting because it was the first public meeting we've held since those executive sessions, almost two weeks later. Um, and, and so it was unfortunate I had to wait that long, but I, I was successful eventually. They put me off till the end of the meeting when the public wasn't watching to make a motion to release the tapes of those two meetings. And I did manage to get a 3-2 vote. Um, and unfortunately, I, I, I can't understand um, Commissioner Buck and Commissioner Trigger voting against the transparency. Whether you thought we violated public meetings law or not, the transparent thing to do was to vote to release those tapes. Uh, so those tapes are being made available eventually, uh, and we'll, and people can watch, hear the discussions of how the board came to that decision to mandate vaccines for our employees. Whether you agree with the mandate or not, right. the issue I have is we did it behind closed doors. So what, I mean, can, some, can those unions, is this going to open a can of worms where since it was done, it is and let me put let me say this and you can correct me and feel free to is it's done is that Ill, illegally um that I, might be harsh too harsh of a word it's, it's somewhat too harsh of a word because technically the county administrator could have done this without involving the board he has the power he has you know it's it's he he manages personnel policy at his level Okay. We manage him, you know, he manages the personnel sort of type thing, but he involved the board and, and the board ended up choosing the option. I think that he wanted to go with, but if the board had all said, you know what, we agree with commissioner Bozovich. We like the do nothing option. Do you think our County administrator who reports directly to us and has to, you know, do an annual review with the board of commissioners. And we, we agree whether or not to, um, you know, extend his contract for the next year. Do you think if the majority of the board had said we like this other option that he would have done anything other than what the majority of the board tended to in that meeting? Right. So it was a decision making meeting. So Josh wants to know, so it says meeting violation. Can the mandate be struck down? Like I said, ultimately, the county administrator had the power to implement that mandate without the board support what what people can do possibly is sue the board over having violated public meetings law i'm kind of hoping the fact that we're making the tapes public will give us some kind of um, affirmative defense around that um, and we won't waste taxpayers money on lawsuits so much but i do think it's going to make um, it, it's going to give uh, the unions the ability to say you guys really should have talked to us first. You know, why weren't we involved in the decision making? It's going to give the public the opportunity to say, we should have had some opportunity to know you were thinking about making this decision and been able to give public comment during public comment period around this. 
you know, it just doesn't look good. I don't know if we can throw it out because of that. But the interesting thing is I heard today on the Lars Larson show when I was driving back from my tour of the jail, we do an annual tour of the jail. <laughs> uh, I wasn't in jail for other reasons um, that the governor's postponed her mandate for another yeah. six weeks. Another till um, I heard today it's still what uh, November 30th or something. Yeah. So right, to an answer Matt real quick. It was commissioner Buck and commissioner Trigger that voted no against the transparency. Yeah, that ought to work well. <laughs> so, yeah. so what, what do you think of the governor? Why, I'm just, if you can't, if you can comment, I'm just, I'm just curious. I, I mentioned this, I, I do my own internet radio show too, which you're aware of, which I'd love to have you as a guest on sometime. Oh, I do it, I'll totally do it. Yeah, yeah. I'll even, I'll even keep no F-bombs, I'll be really good. Yeah, yeah, well I, yeah. It is internet radio, so you can still do the F-bomb if you want to. But, uh, you know, we uh, uh, talked about it today that there's, this, there's been this tendency from the White House on down through the governor's mansions to county level where things are being done dictatorially. The, the decisions are being thought about, discussed and deliberated in outside public site and just announced. Yeah. And that's just not good government, no. whether it's the president, you know, calling a, a press conference to announce that he's going to do this mandate on private business, yet he hasn't written any of the rules around it. So no one knows what the heck's coming. He really confused everybody. Well, not that he's not confused. Well, now the media is getting well, really screwed, really frustrated with him because he's not answering their questions. Yeah. Which, or the, gov the governor that has given herself emergency powers, keeps extending those emergency powers without the approval of the legislature, and then announces her own mandates, and then realizes, oops, maybe I shouldn't have done that because I'm starting to understand. I think the reason she's doing the six-week delay yep. is they're going to lose a lot of critical employees out of state government, out of local governments, if those mandates are implemented. And one of the things people will hear on the tape once now it's been released is a discussion from each one of our division directors about the fact that that the vaccination rate of Lane County employees is really high. We're close to 80 percent. But it's disproportionate. And there's places like our law enforcement and our public works line staff out in the field that are very low vaccination rates and probably resistance to getting vaccine. What are two places that are really easy to get a job right now? construction industry maybe, and maybe law enforcement, you know, across right. the country, they're starving for law officers. What well, are two places that if we lose employees affect public health? Oh, yeah. What happens if we have to close the landfill because we can't run the landfill? Right. <laughs> well, it, 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 well, and it's obvious. I thought when I heard that today about the governor too, I thought, once again, you, you don't think things through. And, and when people, that happens, not just her, right, but it happens so often, not thinking, critically thinking, what does that mean when we have a crisis in our hospitals? So you're telling people with one word, we, we, our hospitals are filling up. We got to do this, but we're going to lay off 20% of the staff because they won't do what we're telling them to do and get the, get the vaccine. So then does the public then say, well, maybe it's not that important if you're willing to give away 20% of your your people over, you know, to, to pull this kind of stuff. They don't think through that. That's how that comes across to the public. 
if you came out and said, you know, um, oh, I got a note here, Oregon Forestry Department from Alan Thayer, uh, Oregon Forestry Department's really concerned that they're going to lose firefighters yeah. um, because they're requiring them to get vaccinated and a huge percentage of the firefighters don't want to get. So what happens if we have no firefighters and we, we're still in fire season? I mean, this is thinking through things like beyond what I want and what I think should happen. It's thinking through what's going to happen in the future. Yeah, it's one of the reasons why government should do things openly and in public, because then you get the public input that, that sometimes might bring to light that unintended consequence you haven't thought about making that decision. If the governor maybe had been a little bit more forthright and talked to more people, she might have understood that issue. Yeah. There's another issue of disproportionate vaccine rates that, that no one's talking about in these mandates. That is that our minority and BIPOC population has a lower vaccination rate than our, uh, you know, white males like you and me. <laughs> right. <laughs> What's going to happen when we start, you know, letting more minorities go over this mandate than white people? Do you think maybe that might be a civil rights lawsuit? Should be. Yeah. And I yeah, see, thank you. I love doing this. I love having these conversations because I, I hadn't even thought about that. And think about historically in this country, our history of medical experimentation on those populations. And you're asking them to take a vaccine that some people don't trust. Right. You know, I, it, and then now you're going to mandate it on those populations. And these are the same social justice warriors that are always talking about how we have to think about, you know, systemic racism and social justice and the impact on these underrepresented communities. What are vaccine mandates doing to those communities? I and think the, and the, the big question for me is, do they even build trust? Are they going to be successful? There's more people in the general population that are vaccine hesitant than are government employees. But watching us have to force government employees to take the vaccine does not build trust in that larger population outside of government. Right. It's And they have so many people so scared. And you're hearing this too. I know you're getting letters. It's because they're you're giving up retirement. They're giving up their, their careers. Um, you know, and people go, well, that's their choice. They could just get vaccine. That, that's, not, that's not the point. And it's like, and people aren't thinking through this. You know what I think, Jay? I think if the, like the second round of, of times, you know, that, that this, this new lockdown, uh, you know, variated rock lockdown. But I think if the governor came out and you said, you know, this is science and there's a lot of things that we've made mistakes on and this hasn't been clear. You know, we, we've been going with the punches and doing this too. What I'm going to do is our numbers are coming up. We're having a, we're having a problem. I'm going to ask Oregonians to wear masks. I'm going to ask Oregonians to socially distance, limit their exposure to other people. And I'm going to ask Oregonians to, you know, to, to get the vaccine, but I'm asking, I'm not going to mandate anything. You're adults. You're peakable. I think you should go out and do what you think is right, but I would hope that you do what you think is right for you and your neighbor and everybody and consider all that and then leave it. Because you know what? I think you get a lot more buy-in than this heavy-handed approach that we've had from the beginning where it's like, you, here's what you're going to do. And you know what I mean? And I, I even heard that health departments were saying, Governor, please don't talk about this because you're like the worst spokesperson in the world when it comes to doing this because nobody trusts you. <laughs> you know? Yeah. 
And it, it's the approach I've I've advocated all along it is education and requesting people to voluntarily take steps and and you know doing the steps that they feel comfortable in those many layers of protection we can provide from good hand hygiene and what you know washing your hands wearing a mask um you know up to you know probably the most effective i believe is getting vaccinated but some people aren't willing to go there but just you know don't if if you're trying to use the force of government to change behavior you get resistance no matter what right yeah. The, the other thing I've always wondered, too, is that with the health, you know, and the health aspect of this is, you know, we, we all know the most volatile and vulnerable people are heart disease, heart diabetes, um, obesity, all those things like that. To go along with this masking and, and social distancing campaign, why did the state never put money into how to eat right, how to get healthy, how to exercise, how to take care of yourself, to really be preventative, which we claim the reason we have few hospital beds is because we've been focusing on prevention. Why didn't we focus on prevention during this COVID thing instead of all it was was react, 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 move, move, instead of going, and while you're doing that, you know, you know, take take time to think about what you're eating and how you're eating, you know, and do a whole public campaign on that. That would have made me think you really are serious about this. But to me, it just became a scare tactic. Everybody do. You know, and I think a lot of people just didn't buy into it. Yep. And, and it just it doesn't build trust. Right. And that, that lack of trust now is what we're fighting against. And they built up that that distrust by trying to be forceful. Yeah, this is what you get, man. And then people like you who understand that you have to deal with it. Now you're you're lumped in with all those people. I try not to go. And the county commissioners did this today. I try to figure out who's doing what because it's like let's put everybody in a box and say you're all these yeah, you know. And I thank you for sticking up. And thank as a reporter or a former reporter, um, open meetings laws in public that that is so damn part of our our core being. So thank you for standing up. And I, I mean, that takes some guts to stand up against the people you're working with and, um, you know, I, and, and saying we, we really need to do this. And I, I think the two people that sided with you as well. Um, the other one, I think that's going to come back to bite them in the ass. But you know what? You don't hide things from the public, whether it's purposeful or not. And when you figure it out, you, you ask for forgiveness and you move on. And that's basically what you guys are doing. Yeah. And, so, you know, as an elected official, you should always understand anything you say anywhere, even if it's an executive session, even if you say it to somebody in confidence, you should never say anything you don't want the public to know. Yeah. Yeah. Trust me. I've lived my whole life that way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, Jay, thank you so much for taking your time and joining us tonight. We really do appreciate it. Okay. Thank you. And thank you for getting this story out there and also the story on redistricting because uh, it's coming next to Lane County. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know it. Thanks buddy. All right, there you go, guys. Um, so much we could say. Um, yeah, I, you know what? I, I think what I'm just going to say here's because this is this is the truth, and it has nothing political or anything like that. This is your state, okay? You are Oregonians. Governor Brown, um, Tina Kotek the legislature, the judges, the Supreme Court of Oregon, they work for you. 
And right now we've let this thing get to a place where we're working for them. So the tail's wagging the dog. It's time the dog wagged the tail. And it isn't going to happen by being angry. Um, it's not going to happen by sitting on your ass and doing nothing. It's not going to happen by complaining on Facebook. Um, it happens when people, um, and I think that's what's happening. My personal opinion, I think we're going to go a little lower. I think it, it has to begin to be painful, um, not just on government workers and people like that. But I think until we all band together and stand up to this shit, it isn't going to change. And we have to understand the value of our freedom. Uh, the freedom to make our own choices and our own mistakes. And we also have to understand the way the Constitution works and that those people um, are public servants. You and I are the public. They are the servant. Right now, we have allowed ourselves to become the servant and they are the almighty God. Well, they are not the almighty God. And Kate Brown is not in charge of me. She works for me and you. So redistricting is a huge deal and you need to get involved and write the secretary of state and say, if you get this, you promised to do it fairly and we're watching. And then you watch the people that are, I'd, I'd send Tina Kotek a letter too and say, shame on you. Be nice, but shame on you. You stepped out of line. You made a promise and you didn't keep it because you guys, fairness is everything. If we don't have fairness, then, then we're being misrepresented. And Oregon is not, I don't think we look like this. I think this is a manufactured uh, way of looking at Oregon because of all that meddling and gerrymandering and screwing around with things and cheating that's gone on for decade after decade after decade. Secretary of State Phil Keesling, a Democrat, tried to fix that. He was the last Secretary of State who drew the lines fairly. And then he wanted to run for governor and his party and the unions blackballed him because he didn't do their bidding. He didn't cheat like they wanted him to. So he went on to be a very successful dude and a really cool guy, but we could have had a really great governor, but well, that's how things work sometimes. So we can change it. It's do we have the will? So we can't do these shows without our sponsors. And um, when you show a little love to my sponsors, then we continue this relationship. So if you really are truly looking for a, a, a realtor, um, go to Derek. Um, he's doing lots of great stuff for me in my house. Um, and um, Cassie is a little spitfire um, <laughs> is awesome. She's working with him, but you can, um, just get a hold of him if you're looking to sell or looking to buy and you're really interested because um, these are people that care about our community. They don't have to agree with my position. My wife doesn't agree with me all the time, but they agree that we should be talking and Oregonians should be taking their power back. All right. Tomorrow night, if you like tonight, tomorrow night, we're gonna, you're going to love too. Um, there's a new podcast in town called Truthzilla. And these people are wild and they are, have a lot of opinions on mandates and vaccines and government. And I'm not sure what we're going to put on, but we'll see. Um, it could be a big risk, but Hey, that's what we do, right? Cause they have a voice and they have an audience and I just want to introduce them to you. Um, so tomorrow night we're going to have that. And then Friday we're out in Vedita at the Emporium. 
um, local crafters and stuff. Annie's going to have us out there at 515 and we're going to show you what's up this weekend and a place you can go to get gifts and things like that. Shop early for Christmas if you want to. Um, it's stuff you'll never find anywhere else. It's really cool stuff. All right. Um, like Derek, um, having a drink on his porch, I'm going to go home and have a beer because that was a good night. There is nothing I love better than giving you guys information that you can go out and do something with. It makes me come alive because I know the power of people when they understand the power they have. And you've got so much. Don't start talking bad and saying about yourself, oh, look, they do this and they're going to listen to what they want. No, they're going to listen to us because we're 